Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 126 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Life Cycle and Line, an interview with Leanne Escobar. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, most people in the Lyme community think of the life cycle of Lyme as the life cycle of the tick, going from an egg to the larva to the nymph to the adult, and ultimately then reproducing and having eggs again. And I really thought of that when we were interviewing Leanne Escobar because she grew up in a tick endemic community in New Jersey. She was sick from a very early age, starting as early as two years old. And she went through her entire life with Lyme disease. And now she has a child. And of course, she has concerns about passing Lyme disease on to her children. So Rich, when I think about Leanne's Lyme journey, it just makes me sad thinking about Leanne and everybody else who had Lyme almost their entire life and now in their adult life are worried about passing it on to their children. If we only had better advocacy and awareness in both the community and the medical fields, we could prevent things like this from happening. Matt, you know, Leanne could be really angry. Her whole life has been altered by her contact with Lyme disease. But you know what? She's actually a wonderful young woman. She has a really positive outlook on life. She was an absolute pleasure to interview. And I think our community is going to really love listening to this podcast. So without further ado, the really enjoyable Leanne Escobar. Hey, Leanne Escobar, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're blessed to have you. And you know, our, we know our listeners are going to be blessed to hear from you. And we've already gotten great feedback from folks in our community because you were kind enough to do a video a couple of months ago. And at the time, it was our most downloaded video. So we have uh, high expectations for you, Leanne. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> thank you. So can you share with us where you live? I live in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And how long have you been a New Jerseyite? So I was born and raised here in the same house. Um, I did move to Florida for two months. That was my only move um, outside of New Jersey. So that's the only thing I know besides Jersey. <laughs> All right. So you're a Jersey gal through and through with the exception of sort of an extended vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, welcome home, Leanne. So Leanne, talk to us about um, what you know about Actually, let me ask the question differently. Tell us what you knew about ticks and tick diseases during your childhood, because New Jersey is a tick endemic community and it has been for your entire lifetime. So uh, what do you know about ticks during your childhood? Honestly, I didn't know anything. And we went camping a lot. I mean, we knew some things of the precautions you had to take. We wore bug spray, that stuff. Um, but until maybe I was older, somebody at my church had um, Lyme disease, but again, people kind of didn't really take it serious. So you didn't hear of it until later when I got sick, I was like, oh my gosh. But no, we had no people telling us you need to do this, you need, you know, nothing. So again, we know New Jersey is a tick endemic state. I know you were living in a tick endemic community. Did you ever receive any educational information at school about ticks and tick diseases and how to avoid coming in contact with a tick disease? No, great question. I've never, you know, even learned about other disease. I mean, besides sexual transmitted diseases, but like now you realize so many. No, I've never, great question. Never learned about that, no. <laughs> so now you said that you were a camper and your family were, were outdoorsy folks, right? So when you, were, when you were getting ready to go camping, were you uh, specifically focusing on ticks or were you just using mosquito spray as your only vehicle protecting you from uh from bug bites yeah probably just mosquito light spray nothing too serious so now looking back 
when do you believe you first started to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease? Well, my, so we always think this is crazy now that we look back. I had at two years old, I had to get hospitalized for big lymph nodes. Um, all of a sudden got, it exploded out of nowhere. So I was there for two days, I think. Nothing came of it, go on to live my life. But then you see the question like, well, why did that happen, you know? So. Let's talk about when you were ultimately diagnosed with Lyme disease. When did you finally get your Lyme disease diagnosis? Finally, March 2000, I think it was 19, 2000, last year, March last year, I got diagnosed. Okay. And how old are you, Leanne? I'm 30. So you've had probably about 28 years of symptoms before you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease. Would that be a fair description? Yeah, I don't think it was as hard. Like I had little things, mono, stuff like that, that all now looking back, I'm like, it probably was symptomatic towards that. But I feel like at 27 is when it went havoc okay. on my body. So let's talk about when you turned 27 and what was going on in your life at that time. So um, let's go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, so what, what changed when you, be, when you turned 27, uh, at least with your health? So I started, I was a busy hairdresser. I don't know if I should go there, but so I was a hairdressing and, um, very, very busy, really not drinking coffee all day, you know, not eating healthy, having like two minute break to go get pizza at, or quick Chipotle, fast food, you know, in between clients. And so then all of a sudden I got really dizzy, had ear pain, feeling like I'm fluid. So I go there, they give me some medication. Okay, it goes away for a little bit, keeps coming back. Then it just kind of kept spiraling from there. I had really bad stomach and rib pain. Um, and then that took me to a whole different spiral of things. They had, they, so they gave, they told me to stop eating gluten, dairy. I'm going to have, you know, your, it's probably a food sensitivity. So I really started getting this pain and I couldn't eat. So I lost 30 pounds. Oh, it was crazy. And then they, they, uh, ultrasound first, then I think they didn't find anything. So I was like, okay, I'm fine, you know? And then eventually one day I ended up in the hospital. They had no answers for me. So I don't even know where, then that, go ahead. So Leanne, I'd like to, no, let's talk about what was going on with your life generally at the age of 27. I understand oh, you, you okay. now have two children, right? But at that right. time you only okay. had one child. So I, let, let's, let's, let's paint the picture of your entire life, not just your professional life, but your okay. entire life. What, what, what type, of, what type of, uh, events were going on in your life as a parent? What type of events were going on in your social life? Give us the full picture of what Leanne's life was, not okay. at 27, but okay. before you turned 27, before your symptomology really took over. Yeah, so um, then I had a son at 2014. So I was all, we were doing great. I was well at that point. Then when my son was two years old, that's when we moved to Florida. And I had actually gotten a lot of mosquito bites there. 
So then we moved back and then I started really getting symptomatic to all these type of things. So moving forward, we were in Florida having fun, um, going on vacation. I'm married with a son. Everything's great. You know, uh, socially, I'm with friends on weekends sometimes if I can go out. Me and my husband have date nights. We like to have a couple of drinks socially, have dancing, you know, lots of fun. So life was good. You were, you yeah. were working as a, hair, as a hairdresser and you had a yeah. very successful professional life. Right. You had a very rich personal life where you were married, you had a two-year-old child, you had a nice social life, and then things started to change. So talk about right. how your symptoms began to develop and how that impacted your social personal and professional lives? Yeah, so I was always constantly busy on the go. So it hit me just randomly, it would feel like I had had the flu. So I would just have fevers and run down. And then I'm like, okay, then I started realizing I can't do certain things. Family parties I wasn't going to. And I was just like, I really don't feel good. I have to nap. People don't understand that you need a nap before you get diagnosed with things like this. So well, most people at 28 aren't taking naps in the yeah, middle of right. a social engagement, right? <laughs> right. So then, you know, I really don't talk to many of my friends, but I'm also a young mom. So it could have been that path to not going out on weekends, stuff like that draws that away. So a lot of, um, you know, even I feel like I'm completely different friends with people who I am now just from growing in. So, so let's talk about that. As your, yeah. as your Lyme symptoms, even though you don't right. know you have Lyme at that time, were developing, right. how were your friends reacting to your inability to be as social as you had been before? And what impact did that have on your, on your friendships? So they would just um, like stop inviting me and then they would just not even call to say, oh, you know, do you want to go out for breakfast or something, you know, so I would say we can go during the day and then be like, eh, you know, just kind of brush it off. So then eventually um, anxiety, depression, that stuff kind of takes a toll too during that time. So I'm not really reaching out, um, talking to people. So then I'm feeling bad for myself that no one's, you know, so just different life journeys, I guess, during that time. And so, so. so you're not feeling well physically, so that's having right. an impact on your mental health. Right. And then you're not feeling well enough to socialize with your friends, so they stop having contact with you, and that becomes isolating, and that has a negative impact on your mental health. Talk to us about um, what was happening with you and your husband. How is your husband yeah. reacting to your illness, and, um, and how is he reacting to your inability to be the wife that you had been before you started to show your symptoms? Yes, so that is a great question too because um, really he was used to me having so much fun, full of life. He would be the one napping. I would be the one like, come on, we have to go hiking. We gotta do stuff, you know, and that affected him. He was really, you know, a victim too, I feel like at in this whole situation because I wasn't, you know, not to be TMI, but in bed and stuff like that, that just everything inside of me died. And I'm sleeping at 6 p.m. when I get home from work. And, but he, I took him actually to a conference. It was called Line Mind in New York City. I think that was last October. And 
he heard this young singer sing the song, tell his story. And that's when it was like, oh, everything you said, he said. And he's like, it just hit him. And then he started really helping out around the house, knowing that I need certain things, naps. And if I can't do the laundry, you know, he goes food shopping. So that changed a lot too. Thank God he understood. Well, Leanne, before he understood that by going with you to the Law Mind Conference, right. was he resentful and was he was he at times critical of you for not being the partner that you had been before? Yeah, he was never, he's a really nice guy, so he was never really resentful or anything. Um, but he would be on my case a lot about, you know, oh, the, the, the house is a mess and not understanding that I physically cannot do it you know, because I was getting up and going to work and putting makeup on and doing these days and then coming home, I had zero energy. So he did get upset a lot about that at first. How about your extended family? Do you have contact with extended family and how do they react to your inability to, uh, to be as good a family member as you had been before? Oh, well, Thank God for my mom, because she has always been my supporter. And she, no matter what, she was like, something's not right. You're my sister too. Um, just, you know, they, everybody has been really good. Cause I was never the person to be a complainer and stuff like that. So I wasn't ever a hypochondriac where people would be like, Ugh. so they, they could see it with the weight loss and everything. I look sick to the normal person. I looked healthy and great. But to my family, when I lose all this weight and pale with no makeup on, they felt for me. They were on this journey with me. Like, we need to find help for you. You know, thank, thank goodness. So one of the things we hear from many of our guests is that when they're feeling terribly, but they don't necessarily look terribly, right. or they don't look terrible, I apologize for the grammatical <laughs> uh, faux pas, um, that they hear, um, you know, you don't look sick. Did you hear that from folks when you were describing to them how you were feeling? Yes. So once I didn't tell anybody until I started, cause I felt really crazy going to the doctor and them telling me that none of my symptoms had an answer. So then I just didn't even start telling anybody until I started going for MRIs and all that stuff, trying to find the problem of um, the pain in my stomach. Um, Go ahead. Did so you... Matt is going to talk to you about some of the specific doctors you saw and, okay. and the way they helped you with your symptoms. But I'd like to talk to you about, again, how this is now developing. So we, you're, you're, you go from being this very healthy, very happy young woman. You, have a, you, you sort of have the, the, the perfect life with your two-year-old baby and your wonderful husband and your supportive family. And now you're getting sicker and you're getting sicker and you're getting sicker. So talk to us about how that's developing between when you were 27 and these symptoms started to develop and take control of your life. And then when you finally got your, uh, your diagnosis, how did that develop? Okay. So, yeah. So then my stomach was the first part I went for a cat. Oh, I was actually seeing, so I got blood work done first when I started really getting like tired, all that stuff, tingling, whatever. They took blood work. It said my ANA counts were up, which were like an autoimmune signal. So I had went to a um, rheumatologist. So he was really seeing me at the time before I knew it was Lyme disease. 
he tested me for Lyme. I had a negative. So um, that was really not an option at that point, I felt. So then he sent me to get a CAT scan done because of my pain, my weight loss, everything. He thought I had lymphoma because it's very similar to what autoimmune diseases and whatever. So then from there, it did show something on my spleen, the pain that I was having. I had to get an MRI to see what it, a closer look to what it is. So then he sent me to a lymphoma specialist. I had to sit in Hackensack at the cancer center. That was probably the most traumatizing part of this experience because I'm thinking I have cancer. And then, so they send me, they're like, you have to go through surgery. You have insanely enlarged spleen. We don't, we can't see what it is. It might be cancer. It might be, my blood work for cancer was fine, but they're like, it might be cancerous. It might be localized, get it out. So then that's where it kind of really unraveled. So then I had surgery for this, for my splenectomy. The surgeon told my mom, because she was waiting for me in the room, he was like, that spleen was something I've never seen before. Go get it checked, like ASAP. Her appointment needs to be, you know? So then they had, um, then I went to my appointment. She goes, well, it's not cancer, thankfully, but she, they had no clue what it was. They had to go, they had chair meetings. She's like, this is so interesting. I have never seen this before in my life. I have no, I'm sorry, I don't know. Or I'm going to have a meeting about it. So boom, still nothing. I went back to work as if nothing were to happen. So then that's when I really started feeling very sick again. Um, after, say, a month, um, my symptoms were getting worse. I wasn't catching up on sleep and tingling, joint pain. Everything was terrible. So that's where finally I got the last testing that came back positive for Lyme disease. So Leanne, what I find very interesting is that you went to a rheumatologist and you had high ANA levels in your blood, which are the autoimmune indicators, but yet even after a, a negative Lyme test, your rheumatologist never said or thought, well, these Lyme tests aren't great. There's still a, tr a strong possibility you can have Lyme disease. Was that discussion ever had between you and your rheumatologist? Never. He actually said the first test, he was like, oh, it's like barely positive. We're going to do it again. And then I retested and it was full negative. I didn't even think of it. And he just shipped me off. And now, of course, you described all your symptoms to the rheumatologist, which were classic Lyme symptoms, correct? Correct. So now moving forward now, you, you finally mentioned that you had your spleen removed and then you, got, you continued to get sick. And then you had another Lyme test that came back positive. So what made you keep testing for Lyme disease? Was it you pushing for this Lyme test? Was it your rheumatologist just sort of grasping at straws because he couldn't figure out what was wrong? What, what kind of led you down that path of keep, to keep getting that test over and over and over again? Well, finally, actually, my dad, so I was a hairdresser sick. My dad went to get his hair cut at his old friend from high school. He's like, she sounds a lot like she's going through what my sister had, Lyme disease. So we kind of all talked about it and we're like, what the heck? I keep getting tested. So finally I went to my um, primary care doctor that I was seeing and he's like, I'm so glad you came back. I couldn't get my mind off you. 
I don't know what is going on. And so I was like, I'm sick. I need a solution. Please help me. And he did the test again for Lyme. And he called me in and he's like, you're positive. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> no. Leanne, were these standard blood tests that you go to like your Quest or your LabCorp or your local lab to get done that they were issuing for you? No, they were at the office, but I guess they send them to like LabCorp and Quest. Yes. And now at this point, you, you finally get your diagnosis and you're, I guess it's your primary care physician who tells you you have Lyme disease. What are your next steps? How do you feel? I guess I should ask first. What was your reaction when you got the diagnosis? I was relieved. I was like, I finally have a diagnosis. I am not crazy. People made me think that I was panicking and depressed, which I was, but it's because I'm sick. So I was like relieved, you know? Right. And we do know that depression and panic and anxiety are actually symptoms of Lyme disease. So it sort of makes sense looking back. Now, before you got diagnosed, was there anything that you did that helped alleviate your symptoms despite not having a proper diagnosis? Um, so actually my friend, um, because I had the A and I accounts, my friend, um, has been struggling with lupus at the time. So me and her have really, were really close at that time. Cause we were talking about illnesses and she was like, you have to really try to eat health, like healthier. And like I said, at that time, I wasn't really eating good. I was just grabbing food to go and, so she told me that when my, I had stomach pains, I was just eating like a lot of fruit. And that's when I started eating better. It helped, but I was still in a lot of pain and stuff. Was there anything specific with your diet that seemed to help the most? Like maybe, you know, less gluten, less dairy, less inflammatory foods, any specific tip you can provide to our listeners that helped you get some symptom relief with your diet? Yes. So I would say probably gluten is the worst trigger for me. I have been eating it more during pregnancy now. Uh, now I cut down a little bit, but I have some here and there still because I like to have pizza on Fridays or whatever. But um, mostly, and that's the thing, if you eat you, a slice of pizza, don't think it's a bad life and you have to eat that all the time now. Have a slice of pizza and then go back to your main superfoods. That has helped me, you know, so much more than like the greens and all that fun stuff. So, so now, now going back to your diagnosis with your primary care physician, when they did the blood work at your doctor, did they just test for Lyme disease or did they do a full tick-borne disease panel to look for other co-infections as well? No, they did not know anything about co-infections. It was just the um, Lyme disease, like the Western blot, I think. So with your primary care physician and your rheumatologist, all the Lyme tests you did were just for Lyme disease and not any co-infections. Correct. So at this point now, it seems like your, your primary care physician knows a little bit about Lyme to make him dangerous, but not nearly enough to probably properly treat you. So what was his recommendation? Did he try to treat your Lyme disease? Did he refer you to a specialist? How did you proceed at that point? No, it was actually upsetting because he's like, okay, you have a Lyme disease diagnosis, but I really don't know what you have to do from here. So I was... I was lost at that point. Um, I was, he's like, I have heard of people treating with IV and stuff. And I'm like, uh, so I had really done a lot of research at that point. Um, once that happened. <laughs> and Leanne, this was, this was just maybe 
over a year ago that you got diagnosed. So it's only been about a year, maybe a year and two months since your diagnosis, correct? Correct. Yes. So now talk to us more about your research because your doctor basically said you have Lyme disease. I really don't know how to treat you. Some people use IVs. I don't really know, which is kind of crazy to think that a doctor would even tell you something like that. So now you probably hit to Dr. Google, right? And start to research Lyme disease and find proper treatment and doctor. So walk us through what that experience was like, you know, going to Google and starting to research Lyme disease and reading all these crazy things you're probably finding on Google. Oh, man. Yeah, it was really um, intense at first because then I have all these doctors that I'm looking up and I'm like, I have no idea where to start. Um, but luckily for me, so I did the searches, a couple doctors came up, then I found, um, so then my client actually, once I came out with my diagnosis, cause I, again, I wasn't telling anybody I got diagnosed. I was telling everybody just in case, not everybody, but like people at work, I knew I was going to have to go through some type of thing to help me. Um, so my client was like, I had Lyme disease for eight years. She told me about a doctor, um, I think he was in New York. Um, I forget his name, Dr. Cameron or something. He treats yes. with, you, you know, you heard him. Yep. D- and, Dr. Daniel, Daniel Cameron. Yes, correct, from upstate. Yes. Yep. Yes. So she first told me about him and I was like, okay. Um, then what was it? Um, yeah. So she told me about him. I really didn't want to take the drive. I called found out that nobody takes insurance. <laughs> so I found another doctor closer to me, um, which is the same, was the same protocol, antibiotics. Um, and she is in West Caldwell. So that was off from like Google and word of mouth, really. Well, I want to learn more about what it was like from that Googling experience, because I could tell you when I was really sick and got diagnosed, I went to Google and it just caused extreme anxiety and and fear and just the feelings of depression because it became so overwhelming to read these horror stories of people with chronic Lyme that are 20, 30 years in and never got symptom relief. So it got to the point where I literally was having family members help me do research because I just couldn't handle it emotionally and physically and cognitively. So what was it like for you? Were you able to process that? Was it was it triggering for you? You know, talk to us about what that was like to read all those stories on online. Honestly, I'm I don't know if it was triggering for me. I think because I had heard other people's positive stories, like my actually client from eight years of her struggling, she was in full remission and she hasn't had any symptoms after going to a doctor like that. So I was like, I actually had hope after that moment, if that makes sense. Sure. So now, now this doctor in uh, West Caldwell, New Jersey that you found, did you found this doctor just by researching and coming across good reviews on the internet? Yes. That's when I found her. Um, and then all the, re- like the reviews were like, I had no idea what was going on with me. And she's actually a rheumatologist, but now she only studies like the Lyme disease and co-infections. So for me, since my ANA counts were up, I was like, okay, let me go see what she has to say because she's labeled a rheumatologist. Maybe she'll know both hands, you know? So now, Leanne, you saw what I'll call a normal or traditional rheumatologist who couldn't even properly diagnose you. And now you're seeing a Lyme literate rheumatologist. So talk to us about the differences between your office visit with your rheumatologist and your primary care physician versus now your office visit with this Lyme literate rheumatologist that you found online. Oh my gosh, such a difference. It's really scary that 
people and doctors are great. We obviously need them. They know notebook, textbook symptoms and stuff like that, that I just felt, why does no one know anything? And then the moment I had a meeting with Dr. Fine, it was like a two hour visit compared to a 15 minute visit of just shooing you out, hearing you, kind of caring, but not really. Their next appointments in 15 minutes, they, you know, you're just like, well, I'm gonna do 15 more vials of blood work now for you. And it's like, well, the last 15 vials didn't show anything. So why are, you know, where Dr. Fine really said, cause some of my, um, I didn't get a positive reading, I don't think from Bartonella when she text, tested me, but she's like, we're going to go on your symptoms first before I even look at the blood work. So she wanted to hear from us how we're feeling, how we're, you know, which I thought was like the major difference because instead of them being like, well, your blood work doesn't fit. She's like, I know that the blood work isn't accurate. The blood work helps because then we know for sure. But so it was just such a better experience. That's why I still see her to this day. <laughs> and that, that must have been so frustrating to hear that this, this Lyme literate rheumatologist was actually going to treat you clinically, even though you didn't have a positive blood test because the blood work is just not very accurate. But your other doctors failed to recognize that or inform you about that. And you could have been on treatment much earlier. So you must have been very frustrated at this point to realize that all of the guidance you were given prior to this was really not the best guidance to treat your illness. Yes, that's true. I, uh, I felt like they, I could have caught it probably two hours, two years earlier if people were, had more training or something. I don't know what it is. And I talked to us about your, your husband at this point. So how was this, what was this like for him? You mentioned that there were some you know, problems or I shouldn't say problems, but differences in your relationship when you got sick. Was he coming with you to all your appointments? Was he helping you do your research? Was he helping support you so you can get proper treatment? For research, not really. He, he didn't really pick up books. I have like some books that I ordered as well. He didn't do any of that stuff. He came to the appointments. He was definitely all ears when it came to listening to the doctor. And that's too when it hit him um, that this is real you know, after talking to the Lyme literate doctor as well. The one um, assistant, I think is my age too, our age, like 30-ish. And he was, he just said like, this is no joke. So hearing all that, it was definitely helpful. <laughs> but he was right by my side, got like seeing everything. It's new to him too. He didn't know, you know, he's like, this is all new to me. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to learn too. Leanne, it took you about two years to get diagnosed. So do you think that at some point your husband really doubted if you were really sick because all of your doctors were dismissing you and couldn't find anything wrong? I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think he definitely was like, what is going on? It's always something, uh, you know, at that time, definitely. And now this Lyme literate doctor that you found this rheumatologist validated your illness with your husband likely. And it sounds like that really got him on board to realize there's a real physical illness here that my wife is experiencing and she needs help. And, and do you think that him not having that validation from your earlier doctors could have also prolonged your diagnosis because maybe there was that doubt of, well, is she really sick and pushing to get you proper treatment? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like most of the people, like I do remember someone said 
to him. I forget who exactly it was. Like, do you even think she's sick? I mean, come on, you know? And he told me, but he was like, that upset me too, because like he was actually on my side about it. So I'm kind of happy that whoever said it, because he was like, yeah, she's sick. I don't see her having fun anymore. And she's on the couch, can't even get through the day. So I think that's when too he really started like, okay, she doesn't want to have fun. Who doesn't want to have fun, you know? <laughs> so now let's, let's also talk about the treatment protocol that you were given by the slime litter doctor. So now once you had this office visit with him, what was your immediate course of action to start treating the Lyme disease? Yeah, so actually when I had the appointment with her and I got diagnosed, I had, they right away they were like, Monday, you're going to start um, IV treatment. It was a very overwhelming I actually forgot about that. It was a, an extremely overwhelming day because it was a lot of information that I never would have expected from my visit. They were they gave me a packet of like, okay, this is the supplements you should be taking, probiotics you should be taking, all this stuff that is going to help me to get from A to Z, you know. And um, I was just so overwhelmed. I called them the that Monday or something. And my sister's wedding was actually two weeks after that. And they told me, you're gonna have really bad symptoms. And I'm like, oh. so I actually waited the two weeks. And then I started like hardcore after that. Now I'm assuming most of this treatment they were recommending or most of these supplements and probiotics were not covered by insurance. And you had to pay out of pocket for a wide variety of supplements and tools to help treat your Lyme disease. Yes. Great, great point. So yes, the doctor in itself too is not covered. So you can submit your claims, but you're, so I'm, I was getting treatment, the IV treatment three times a week. They, I had to go there in office and pay $35 on top of the treatment every time I went. Um, so they, after a while, they would write a script once you know, like if you're not going to have um, reactions to it. They'll write you a script, but that you can get at your pharmacy. That isn't even covered. So it was like, I think 360 for three weeks worth of um, antibiotic treatment, which is also, it ran us up a lot of debt for sure. Now this is, you're referring to the IV antibiotics, correct? Yes. How long were you on these IV antibiotics for? So you started them right after your sister's wedding, it sounds like. Yes. And how long were you on these antibiotics for? I did. So that was for six months strong of, and then orally, we would do a lot of stuff. It was a lot on my stomach and body. I don't even remember. We started with Doxy, then switched a bunch because it wasn't working. My symptoms, you know, and you have to switch every so often. And then the Bartonella is stubborn. So I had to be on antibiotics for that. And that was just a lot to deal with um, and a lot of money. So six now, months. Now, all of these oral antibiotics and oral drugs you were taking were in parallel or at the same time as the IV rocephin you were taking for IV antibiotics, correct? Correct. So walk us through, I mean, this is a lot of medication to start taking all at once. And so now you're taking IV antibiotics and a whole bunch of oral antibiotics and supplements. Day one, what did you feel like? Did you, did you crash? Did you feel a little better? Or did you feel the same? Walk us through how you felt physically when you first started treatment. Okay. Yeah. So day one, they start like 
say half the dose or whatever. So I was okay. Um, then I want to say like two or three days later, I really crashed. Um, it was rough. I probably was in bed for like 24 hours, <laughs> the, maybe not 24 hours, like 15 hours or something. Um, just cause it hit me very hard. Now, were you doing anything aside from the antibiotics to help sort of, you know, rebuild your body? The antibiotics can be really harsh on your gut and kill, you know, good bacteria in addition to bad bacteria. So was this doctor also helping sort of keep your body healthy while doing this attack mode with the antibiotics? Yeah, so they, um, well, she gave me like a whole diet plan and stuff like that and like the probiotics and stuff and then Epsom salt baths, all that. Um, but then sometimes I started taking, um, we had like a vitamin drip, but again, it's so expensive. So it was like a cocktail of magnesium and vitamin Bs and stuff like that, that seemed to really help. But the big bag's 200, the small bag 70. So it's like, uh, it helps. But when you're paying, you know, so much, it's like, uh, I'll hold off that, that moment, you know? So what, what made you decide to go off the antibiotics at the six month mark? What was, what was that change or the pivot in your experience that you decided to stop? Was it financial? Was it physical? You know, what, what condition brought you to that point? I want to say both the, so the expense aspect was way, was, Oh, that hit to, cause first of all, I had to get off of work. So we're, we have to um, budget for one income anyway. Then I'm getting slammed with, I spent about 10 grand in six months. So we got slammed with that. So at the six month mark, I was kind of like to her, I, oh, and then right before that I crashed on, I forget what the medication was. I had such a bad experience. I said, they're like, it's a medication. It's a die off. Finally, I was like, no, something is not right here. I'm, so I stopped. I felt a little better after that. So I was like, it's expensive and I'm really hurting. And I feel like I'm so dying and I'm sick of this. So then she, from there was like, okay, let's give you a break. And she told me to you, um, to get, to detox my body a little bit, Epsom salt baths, sweat, all that stuff. And then, um, she said to take, to get cemento and banderol. I think that's how you say it. And, um, do herbal for a little bit and see how you feel. So Leanne, at the end of your six month journey of IV antibiotics and oral antibiotics, were you feeling better or worse than you did when you first started? Better. I was well, definitely better. Give us an idea of some things that you couldn't do or some symptoms that you did have in the beginning that you no longer had at the end or things that you could do at the end that you couldn't in the beginning. So I got an idea of how far you progressed over that six month window. Okay. So I want, uh, let's say I was really shaky. Um, prior before I got diagnosed, I started having tremors out of nowhere. Um, so that was interfering with a lot. And then the fevers nights I had, so I had fevers, night sweats, tremors, weight loss and joint pain. I think all of those symptoms were finally under control at the end. And then nope. go ahead. Sorry. Were there any new symptoms that popped up over the six month window that you didn't have initially? 
I had really bad stiff, um, like upper back in between my shoulder blades, um, which she did actually, once I started having pain and stuff, she did say that, see that like some muscle retention was there. And I probably wasn't new, but it was new during the whole treatment aspect. So now how long of a break did you take from the time you stopped taking the antibiotics until the time you started taking the, the two herbs, the cemento and the banderol? I believe I took about three weeks off. And in that window, did your symptoms worsen, get better? You know, what was your health like in that three week window before you started the herbs? Oh, my health was a lot better. I was waking up energized a little bit. I mean, not fully, but I remember having one day of just full-blown energy. I was talking everybody's ear off and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're so different. So it really helped a lot um, once I detoxed off everything. <laughs> now talk to us about when you first started taking the herbs, the cemento and the banderol. So when you did, was there an immediate reaction? Did you feel better, worse? Did you feel nothing for a couple of days? What was that like? No, my first, um, because I've heard that it's very potent, don't take too many drops. I started with one drop. Ooh, I guess from not treating for the three weeks, that kicked my butt, one drop. I was severely fatigued. Um, I had to sleep it off. I want to say I probably had a flare up for about three to five days after. Nellian, were these herbal tinctures that you'd put like under your tongue? Were you taking them in a capsule form? How are you taking the herbs? No, it w it's one dropper and um, I think eight ounces, six to eight ounces of water, I believe. Do you recall the brand of herbs that you purchased? I did the Nutramec, the, I have it in there. Oh, I, forget I think it. the Nutramedics? Yeah, that's the one I did. And did you, how long were you on these herbs for? I think you said about three months you were on the herbs? Yeah, about three months. And did you introduce any other herbs or supplements during this time? Yes, I did. Because um, with the night sweats and the fevers and stuff, she wasn't sure if I was having like Babesia and stuff. It sounded like Babesia at the time, but now I don't think it's really peeping in. But she did um, tell me to get artemisinin. I don't know if I'm saying, I'm definitely not saying it right. <laughs> uh, um, I can't it don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Artemisin or something like that um, for malaria, actually. Um, I took one pill of that and that knocked me completely off my butt. Um, but then I got pregnant after that. <laughs> now, do you feel that the three month period of these herbs further helped you heal? So the antibiotics kind of gave you that, that kickstart. And now the herbs sort of helped kind of continue to kill off the bacteria and rebuild your system. Do you think this is all a cumulative effect to restore your health? Or do you think that the herbs maybe weren't the best thing to do at that time? No, I think that it really helped to kind of jumpstart and keep me at a nice level. The cemento herb, I have to say, I love it. I still take it randomly. I don't really as much now during pregnancy. and um, But at the end of my pregnancy, I started taking it because it helps fight inflammation. And I love it. I'm, I'm definitely glad I did the herbal treatment. So let's talk more about your pregnancy. So you find out you're pregnant. And congratulations, by the way. I think you just, um, you just had your child within the last month or two, right? Two months, yes. Thank you. Two months. Congratulations. 
So talk to us what that was like with your doctor that, you know, when you, did you bring that to your Lyme litter doctor to, to get guidance? And what was that like? Oh, yes. Um, that was scary. I remember being like shaking when I had my appointment with her because I, I just really was so concerned about um, the baby, which we weren't planning this. So I was just like, I don't know what to do. I called ahead of time, but they didn't say much. They're like, come in, whatever. So I talked to her and she was like, no, I should have a Lyme board um, for all the successful Lyme babies that I've had and treated. And so then we kind of asked the, like, do we treat during pregnancy? But since I was off antibiotics, I was like, I really didn't want to. She didn't think I needed to, thankfully. Um, so that's that I saw her in the beginning. Um, but I had a rough first trimester. So I was happy we just didn't treat at that point. So, so you stopped the herbs at that point? Yes. Uh, she was like, I don't trust the herbs enough. Definitely stop the herbs. But I know I've heard on, um, in like on social media and stuff, some people have taken herbs. So definitely controversial. <laughs> and at this point, were you doing anything to, um, help your body? Were you still detoxing, taking Epsom salt baths? Were you taking any sort of vitamins or anything to help your body while you were pregnant? Yeah, so I was definitely taking, I started with Epsom foot, the foot soaks, um, just for like the first trimester, that helped, then I started taking baths um, to kind of, not severely sweat it out, but just to kind of keep any toxins from going, coming in or anything, um, what else, uh, I also just ate good. I mean, I, it's, I would say I need one smoothie a day of kale, apples, stuff like that, and eating apples and stuff in between that. The, the diet for me, and I learned during pregnancy, is key. So, Leanne, talk to us about what your thoughts are about congenital Lyme. And did you discuss this with your doctors? Did you research it? And, you know, what came into your mind at this point? You found out you're pregnant. You're, you're in, in the throes and still, you know, struggling and treating Lyme. Were you worried about passing Lyme on to your child at birth? Oh, yeah. That, that was a, a worry from day one when I found out. Um, so since my Lyme literate doctor did feel strongly that since we did a heavy-duty um, antibiotic protocol and then the herbal, that she's like, even though you're symptomatic, I don't think you're it's strong enough to um, give to the baby at this point, since it's not fr a fresh diagnosis. Do you feel that your, your pregnancy was harder because you were still symptomatic from Lyme disease and it just amplified your symptoms of Lyme? Yeah, surprisingly, you know, I, some of it, it was like, okay, I was able to have a little bit of energy, but some days it was just very fatigued and, um, Pregnancy for me was rough anyway. I don't know if it was a pregnancy thing because a lot of the Lyme moms that I've reached out to and talked to on Facebook groups and stuff, their symptoms are completely gone and they feel great. Um, I didn't really have that. So everybody's different, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now in the past two months since you've given birth, have you started any kind of treatment again or are you planning to in the near future? 
uh, or are you just going to try to, you know, make that decision at some point down the road? Um, well, yeah, I don't, I'm always back and forth with it. My Lyme literate doctor does want to treat a li- again, just so I don't go into regression. Um, I'm doing such a good job kind of, um, naturally healing. I love just, I have actually medical mediums cleanse to heal now that I'm studying. Cause I'm like, I really, if I don't have to go on antibiotics, I really don't want to. I also don't want to regress because she said she's seen people regress. So right now my head's kind of in the middle, um, at the moment. (laughs) So I know from your Instagram that you've used some Young Living products and essential oils to help you throughout your pregnancy and also help you with energy like the, I'm going to butcher the name, but the, I think it's Ninja X, you know, the, that, that, that drink. And also using some essential oils in your Epsom salt baths as well. I've seen that you've used yes. in your Instagram. So talk to us, I guess, first about how you've used essential oils with your Epsom salt baths to help you um, and, and how they helped you. Yeah, so I love um, the the salt baths, it really, um, at night I'll have lavender, kind of relax me, it eases you if I'm having anxiety. There's a bunch of different um, blends and stuff. I've used, actually during pregnancy too, I used oregano and cinnamon um, essential oils because it just helps to detox all those toxins. People have told me to put it on my feet with um, oils and stuff. So there's so many different, essential oil remedies. I'm still learning. I'm still new to it. But the Ninja Red, I think the Ninja Red, I think I'm probably butchering the name too, but that to me has been life-changing for my healing. It really has that. It's actually made of like wolfberries. I know, um, Michaela, you guys interviewed too, so I'm sure you heard all about it. But the wolfberries, I just recently did a whole like research on it. It, it, um, it's good for your gut. It's good for anti-cancer properties. Um, just all these things like blueberries are so good for you. Anti-inflammatory. It's, and I swear fatigue was my worst symptom. I'm like waking up, making pancakes. I've been on it probably about two months. I made sure that I brought a pack of the Ninja Red with me in the hospital. Um, and if you're struggling from fatigue and anything like that, I highly recommend it. It's been the best. We've been following you now, obviously, on social media for quite a while, probably over a year. And it's been great for us to see that over the past two months, you know, with a newborn child and with just dealing with Lyme, that you have such energy to do things that you probably didn't have before, even before you were pregnant. So um, it's that, I think that's a really great tip that you just gave us for people that are struggling with you know, chronic fatigue or always being tired and not, not being able to just get up and get out and do things that this Ninja Red uh, drink can actually help you combat the fatigue and, and, you know, manage through the fatigue that you're getting. So any other, any other natural tips or natural things that you've done that you can make uh, recommend to our listeners that may help them through their journey? Yeah. So I actually, um, like I said, I'm big on smoothies. I'm not a big like salad eater because I get very bored of them. I've always been kind of into my body and working out. So I like to eat healthy, but now it's been focusing on like superfoods and things that are gonna, so it might not be like a gluten-free diet, but anti-inflammatory. And actually I'm so into like powders and stuff now that matcha for focus and, um, 
spirulina, I'm probably not saying it right, but all these anti-inflammatory blends that you just put right into um, your smoothies or drinks or milk or almond milk, whatever. And that to me is just taking away so many hard symptoms just focusing on superfoods, I think. You can still cheat if, you know, if someone's having a party, have a piece of cake, but just have an apple or two the next day. You know, it really does make a huge difference. So then we're just amazed at how far you've come. Hearing how, how sick you were and now being able to get through a pregnancy and being where you are now two months post, post-birth, that you're still doing so well, you have energy, and your, your clear and cognitive abilities here on this podcast have just been great. So from your standpoint, give us an assessment of where you are percentage-wise, which is, I know, a, an impossible question to ask, but if you can guesstimate, how much would you say you are recovered from the time you first got sick? Yeah, so I, well, when I first wrote the um, questionnaire, I said 50% about, um, and I say that because I have a lot of the symptoms that are pretty much gone, but now too, they, I still have some symptoms like tingly legs are the worst for me. So I still have stuff like, I mean, besides the fatigue, those two, I think are the heart, the most stubborn. Um, but I want to say since um, writing that, since I've been taking the Ninja Red and um, just vitamins and magnesium, I forgot to say that before too, that has helped a lot. Just now I want to say it's jumping up to like 60%. And each time I think I'm by next year, I think I'm going to be at a really good place healing-wise. Leanne, talk to us about the beauty of Lyme and how your Lyme disease journey uh, and the, experience you've, the experiences that you've had to go through has changed you in a positive way. Yeah, so I really have, I have to say, I used to be negative, uh, you know, I... I would get anger and I still have anger and stuff like that, of course, because of Lyme disease, but it just really has um, opened my eyes to the bigger picture in life. I, you know, was slaving for a company, working my butt off. I'm so proud of where I was at that time, but now Lyme took me on a different path. I thought I was just going to have one kid, do the career thing. We were going to, you know, have a different life and now I get blessed with a baby that I did not plan for. So now I'm doing the mom life. I'm just experiencing so much love. It goes so fast that I'm so happy that if I wasn't, didn't have Lyme, I wouldn't be experiencing staying home with the kids right now and all that fun stuff. So, Well, let's talk about the other things that you've done because you've done a great deal of outreach in the Lyme community, both with your Instagram page. You actually were kind enough to do our most downloaded video uh, for our page. And now you're reaching out and doing things like taking time away from your two-month-old baby to uh, do an interview on a podcast so that you can share your experience with folks. Tell us about that portion of your journey and how you went from being essentially a, um, you know, a, uh, a homebody to being someone who's now reaching out and becoming a leader in the Lyme community. Well, thank you so much for calling me a leader in the Lyme community. Um, yeah, so... I really just, when I first got diagnosed, I didn't know what to even do or how to start. And social media has really um, helped me so much in my journey. The community is great. So many people are so willing to help everybody that I wanted to be one of those people. And just having 
seeing like uh, when I was pregnant too, I got pregnant. I searched left and right. I found one person that I could talk to and I actually messaged her and I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I'm scared. I'm this and that. So I've gotten so many messages from the stuff that I posted and it's just, that's what it's all about. I'm so happy to help people. I don't want someone to go down that crazy path of searching for two years or being afraid of getting pregnant and having a family if that's what you've dreamed of. It's possible, you know, mindset and diet, definitely key. <laughs> so now let's talk about the last thing we, we like to speak with our guests about, which is uh, what you would do if God forbid your husband came into you after this interview and he found a tick biting him. What would you recommend that he do so that he wouldn't have to go on the terrible journey that you've had to go on with Lyme disease? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, I still wouldn't really know all that we should do, except because it's still something I'm learning all the all the time. But I would definitely pull the tick out with the tweezer as carefully as possible. My Lyme literate um, physician does say to bring it. Um, they can test it for Lyme disease. But honestly, I probably wouldn't wait that period of time to get it from the lab result. I would probably maybe ask them to do a course of doxy just to make sure um, because I'd rather you be on two weeks of antibiotics than a whole lifelong um, thing and probably make him eat healthy if it was my husband because he doesn't eat, like to eat too healthy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our friend Leanne Escobar. To our listeners, we have a call to action first. If you'd like to learn more about Leanne Escobar and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at healing.lovely, L-O-V-E-L-E-E. -E -E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of this post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past guests on this podcast. You're due to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer us on the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. We thank you very much for listening.